save big money on everything. Now at Menards. Make quick work of your outdoor cleaning project with Master Force Outdoor and Landscaping Tools. The 80-volt cordless trimmer is powerful, efficient, and hassle-free. So you spend less time working on your yard and more time enjoying the results. On sale now through May 19th. Check out our wide selection of Master Force tools and see the rest of our deals on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Take me to the king. Hello, podcast listeners. My name is Kelly Richardson Lawson. I'm a mother, a wife, and an entrepreneur. I started the Sunrise Project after our beautiful teenage son attempted to take his own life. Truth is, I'm tired. My husband and I felt despair, isolation, and immeasurable pain. I knew in my heart we needed a place for Black parents to share their struggles, find mutual support, and help our beloved children who struggle with mental wellness, addiction, or both. Each weekly podcast features an expert who shares their knowledge and takes questions from parents and children. Take me to the king. I don't have much to bring. The Sunrise Project allows Black families, like ours, to find comfort in knowing that we are not alone. While the purpose of the Sunrise Project is to share, support, and uplift, this conversation is not a substitute for medical advice. Finding the right healthcare professional for your family's specific needs is crucial. If you do not feel seen or heard, you should speak to more than one professional to find the right fit. Good morning and welcome to this weekly Sunrise Project call. As always, I'm so happy that we're here. And once again, I hope that we all find a moment of solace and peace and calm while we learn from one another and importantly, our incredible guest. This space always is filled with love and compassion and a mutual desire to heal ourselves, our families, our children, um, and more. And so thank you for being here. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I'm sure everybody on this call remembers that 1991 song, uh, from salt and pepper let's talk about sex baby let's talk about you and me let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be let's talk about sex okay i'm not a singer but i remember that song like it was yesterday um and 30 mm -hmm. years later here we are on this morning um to hear from our incredible expert who's here with us today dr gail wyatt she is going to really explore issues of sexuality and trauma and talk about things that are often a taboo topic um, in our community, our Black community. And we all know it's something that should be openly talked about because we've all talked about how it's so important um, to reveal in order to heal. Uh, Dr. Gail Wyatt, I met her in Los Angeles and uh, we kicked it off, we hit it off and became friends um, recently. Dr. Gail Wyatt actually has been, uh, has had funding uh, for her research since 1980, which is through seven presidents. And she was the first licensed psychologist in the state of California. Um, she is a clinical psychologist, a board certified sex therapist and professor of psychiatry and biobehavioral sciences at the Simmel Institute for Neuroscience and Behavior at UCLA. She directs the Center for Culture, Trauma and Mental Health Disparities and the Sexual Health Programs there. She has published well over 250 publications, written six books, and has provided congressional testimony 10 times. Um, and I quote, Stolen Women, Reclaiming Our Sexuality, Taking Back Our Lives by Wiley and Sons is a bestseller that details the effects of slavery and oppression on African-American women today. I could go on and on and on and on and on about her incredible accolades. And I am just so delighted, delighted to have you here, Dr. Wyatt. Really appreciate you. And I want to just add one more thing. Um, Dr. Wyatt has been married almost 56 years and uh and she has just an incredible amount of wisdom to share with us this morning so thank you so much for being here i'm going to turn it over to you now dr wyatt okay thank you so much kelly for inviting me it was um you know you know when you meet people 
uh, immediately if you think you're going to be friends, and I knew that we were. And uh, I'm delighted to be on your program. I think it's so important that we have a time together. And I think Sunday morning is just the perfect time to start off the week, uh, to get recommitted to the things that are really important. And that would, for me, family life uh, is extremely important to everyone's development and stability, and particularly in these times when there is still uncertainty about how in the world will we live in the way that we did, how will we work, how will we raise children, how will we have loving relationships and avoid negative outcomes that can change our lives more than just a virus, just changing our lives so that we can't control it. And that's why the serenity prayer is really appropriate because we have to know the things we can't change and focus on the things that we can. I hope to be able to help in that way by bringing up some topics that I think are difficult to discuss and talking about how we can better manage them uh, in, in families, communities of color in particular, um, and so I want to just start with some statistics that probably everyone may be aware of, but I'm particularly concerned as a clinical psychologist um, and researcher uh, about the prevalence of drugs in our society and how they're being used, uh, and then go into trauma and how it affects people, young people, and then talk about um, sexual development and, and then what we as uh, adults can do to make uh, growing up in these contexts more safe, more secure, uh, and certainly uh, knowing what they're doing, because you'd be surprised uh, how few young people really know what they're doing when it comes to drugs and sex. Save big money on everything. Now at Menards. Make quick work of your outdoor cleaning project with Master Force Outdoor and Landscaping Tools. The 80-volt cordless trimmer is powerful, efficient, and hassle-free. So you spend less time working on your yard and more time enjoying the results. On sale now through May 19th. Check out our wide selection of Master Force tools and see the rest of our deals on Menards.com. So here we go. Um, I was looking at some statistics. We do some drug-related research because we study uh, sex and we also study mental health, uh, all topics that people usually don't want to discuss. It's not socially appropriate to, to, in our community to talk about, well, I just saw my therapist, you know, and when I go to mixed parties, sometimes that's just the way the conversation, social conversations and party, what did your therapist tell you? Uh, about this or that, uh, you don't see a lot of Black people uh, doing that. Uh, it's still considered to be uh, a, a sign of weakness or something that's wrong with you. And I and people couldn't be more wrong. Um, it's, I think, one of the great excuses that people use for not funding mental health research uh, adequately so that we've gotten ourselves into this situation. And now we simply have to advocate for more funding to help families, to help individuals of all ages to better understand how to avoid these traps um, that they can get into so easily and they're so hard to get out of. So here's some facts. Um, last year, 90,000 people died of drug overdoses and that's really alarming. The statistics that I'm gonna be talking about um, have increased from last year, uh, even into 2021, the rates last year we represented 30% surge from 2019. So we've seen an escalation of drug use and abuse for, for several years. It's not gone down recently, and I don't see it going down this year. Fentanyl is now linked to three of five of overdoses uh, and deaths. Deaths from methamphetamines, cocaine, and prescription pain pills have also increased specifically. People wanna know what are people using? Methamphetamines, cocaine, and prescription pills are used the most. So people are self-medicating. Why are they self-medicating? It's, I'm sure, a topic you've been discussing on a weekly basis. What are some of the reasons that people are using drugs to the extent that they are, and young people are, are using drugs and abusing them? Well, one factor that's not talked about a lot is uh, history of trauma. 
why haven't we as people of color talked about a history of trauma when every single one of us has a history of trauma? I am just amazed at how we have allowed our society to miseducate us on our history and not taking it up on ourselves because we can't blame everybody for saying we don't know about our history. At some point, we have to know about our history. That's why I wrote Stolen Women, because you have to understand that many of these problems have come from the 401 years we've been here. Not to say that people didn't have histories of trauma before they got here, but the way in which we've been treated and continually oppressed has created a crisis for people of color that we've just simply not addressed. So I hope some questions will come up about that because I'd love to talk about our histories. I do a lot of that uh, just discussing when it comes to our bodies and how our bodies are um, handled and have been mismanaged and abused. So histories of trauma are important to understand because our parents were raised by our grandparents, great-grandparents and great-great-great-parents all who had a history of trauma. And that influences how we raise children, what we know, what kind of books we keep in the home, what kind of magazines, what kind of discussions, what we allow uh, kids to watch on television. All of these things can be mediated by understanding that we all have a history of trauma. And we, if we don't know it, and if we don't address it, then many people will engage in behaviors like drug abuse and drug use to numb their pain, to medicate their pain so that they don't feel the terror, the, the frightening experiences and nightmares and uh, just concentration on things that are terrorizing the pain, the coercion, um, oppression that can come uh, in life. But there can be certain experiences that are more likely to traumatize people so that as a person experiences more than one type of trauma, then trauma becomes a trigger to things like drug use. So in other words, when people start to feel afraid or uncertain, depressed, uh, highly stressed, they start to remember horrible nightmares and experiences that they can't control and may use drugs to numb those memories and the experiences that they have and, and the way that they feel. So we understand it's not, it's not a mystery as to why people use drugs with, when they have histories of trauma. What's most frustrating is that this is something we can do something about and we're not doing it. So when we talk about trauma, there are many, many types. I'm gonna try to, tra to focus on sexual trauma because that's the one nobody wants to talk about. Why? because our society has commercialized and romanticized histories of sexual trauma and the triggers that come with a history of trauma. So that a person, let's just take a female who dresses in very tight clothes that are very short and very revealing with very low tops that um, reveal her breasts, who has sky high heels on, a behind you can actually see the definition of hair that is whatever, doesn't matter. But the issue is this free, I want a party look to school, one would have to look at and say, why is this person wearing what they're wearing? Now, this is controversial and I've gotten in many an argument, but histories of sexual trauma can sometimes inadvertently influence a certain look that actually reveals more about sexual availability. And that person may not intend to make that message with their clothing or their behavior or their love of partying. And yet when you sit down professionally and talk to them, you hear a terrorizing litany of sexual abuse from childhood all the way to domestic violence and adulthood that they've never gotten a chance to get any help for it, never told anybody, haven't learned any other way to dress, act, or feel. And yet, when they're confronted, they actually want to understand themselves better. Some people are defensive and say, this is, this is me. I've seen men in therapy who have 
10 children by 10 different women and are bragging about that kind of behavior. So what I'm trying to describe to you in real life is you see histories of sexual trauma that may exist in individuals, but we have interpreted that as you know, promiscuous, uh, a player. We have all kinds of ways of making these scenarios sound as if you know, people are just engaging in them with knowledge. They're doing them, sometimes they're not. If we see someone who needs that kind of education, we need to provide it in our communities. And this is where I really feel we can do something about it. So sexual trauma is common. It usually happens more than once. If you don't get help, and this is where you need professional help. You can't do this by yourself, can't pray it away, can't ignore it can't run away from it, doesn't matter. It is in you. These are behaviors, symptoms, feelings, thoughts that you have to learn how to control. You have to live with them. They won't go away. You never get over sexual traumas that you've had. You have to learn to live with them. So you see, this is something that really concerns me. And I thought about this when I was a little girl. I kept saying when I would read books about Black women and Black men being promiscuous. Uh, I wonder, well, where are those people? Because they don't live in my neighborhood. Come to only find out when I got to graduate school, all of the, the, the negative um, portrayals of Black people on their, and their sexuality came from people either making it up, uh, visiting uh, communities or driving through them or hearing a story or two about a welfare mom and making all kinds of generalizations that were all wrong. And I said, you know, somebody needs to study Black sexuality. And that was the name of my first grant way back in the day, <laughs> in 1980. Uh, and it was so controversial. So many people said, you'll never finish that study because nobody's going to let you finish in the government. But they did. Uh, and I've written about these experiences. So I want to welcome you to read the literature on human sexuality and sexual development. This is something that we don't spend nearly as much time talking about. We talk about people and their problems and how they look, but we don't talk about why. And the why is where we can make the difference and make some changes. Now, now let's just go to adolescence and how this all gets complicated. You know, the teens have grown up bodies with little children's minds and our brains can't catch up to our bodies that start to develop from 10 to 15 years of age. For girls around 11 to 13 have, have begin puberty and have, begin with their periods and breast development. But some breast development, you know, starts way before that, maybe nine or 10, they get little breast buds. So you know that as time goes on, they're going to develop breasts. Boys enter puberty a little later, around 13, 14, uh, around there. And if they're not educated about what's going on with their bodies, these kinds of developments can be symptoms of trauma already. I can't tell you how many girls have uh, told me that they thought they were bleeding to death when their period started because nobody educated them about what was going to happen to their bodies. And then when they became pregnant, they didn't know anything about pregnancy. How does it happen? They didn't know about a penis and what happens. Nothing. I, I, it's just amazing how poorly informed we are as a people given our history of sexual exploitation, you would think, well, people would say, I don't want this to happen to the next generation. So let's have sex education in our churches. Well, we could spend a whole program on that, couldn't we, Kelly? Uh, let's have sex education in our schools. Well, we could spend a whole program on why uh, we allow other parents to make decisions about what our children are going to have and the kind of education they need without joining the Board of Education, but make these decisions for our children so that our children can grow up totally ignorant of their bodies. It's just unconscionable, the kinds of things that we allow, allow to happen. Then intercourse. Well, you know, we could talk about that for a whole program, but it still happens in adolescence for the most part. No matter what you do, 10 kids, girls between the ages of, well, let's say 16, 17 years old, for the most part, have intercourse with men, usually men that are as much as 10 years older than they are. 
So you see the, the, the potential for sexual exploitation right there, that first experience. Boys, 14, 15, sometimes much earlier during experimentation, boys and girls can be and usually are sexually abused if they have no parental supervision. Kids have uh, sex later when their parents are very integrally involved in their lives and they're involved in extracurricular activities so that they don't have as much time. Because do you know where first intercourse begins? Usually in the home, in their own little beds, when, when their parents are at work. So you don't like what I'm saying, it gets more controversial as we go, but you can see these are issues that we cannot walk away from because they lead to mm -hmm. other kinds of behaviors that are even more symptomatic of us as parents not taking the time, learning what we need to learn in order to educate ourselves about ourselves and then doing better with our own children. So children are usually educated by the media, music, just listen to the records and the things that they are saying in those records um, by other children, other teens, their peers, you name it. The internet is full of misinformation, porn. We could spend a whole program on porn and how some teens are so addicted to it and want to have a sex life when they get to be in early adulthood, which is usually when their brains are developed at least by age 24. Uh-huh that late uh, that they can make decisions. But when they get there, they realize that they're addicted to porn. And then we have to work on another kind of addiction that's very common and that's addiction to pornography. So that's why I'm saying if we have to get a hold of our communities, our families and ourselves in order to help our children with these issues. Then of course, as they move out and into uh, late teens, if they go to college or junior college or begin some kind of career, then they're more likely to be exposed to date rate drugs. You could spend a whole hour or two on the MAT and how to teach kids about how to avoid date rate drugs. And the last thing I say to did say to my children when they were living at home, their uh, adults and grandchildren, uh, is don't drink anything that's already opened for you that someone gives to you. If you put your drink down, which should be uh, a soft drink and not, <laughs> not uh, alcohol, don't pick it back up. Get another one if you put it down. In other words, it's just that kind of preventive behavior that makes people aware that they're not in an all nice, everybody's just having a good time kind of world. That's not what this is. Uh, we have more predators than we need in this society. And many people don't learn how to look for them and how to protect themselves against it. So we can say that marijuana is a reality. It's going to be legalized all over the United States in our, in our um, state of California. It already is. It really hasn't had its impact because of COVID, but it, it will. And people can say that's it's not harmful. It is harmful. Uh, it has a huge influence on decision-making and how brains are developed. Um, a lot of people don't want to hear it. And it is an entry into uh, more serious drug use. Some people never go there, but some people do. So we've got an issue on our hands. Now, when it comes to what we can do about it, sexual trauma has to have professional help. I see people who have never told about sexual abuse, and it's little boys more than little girls who, are, who have the hardest time talking about it. Why? Because it doesn't sound very masculine to say somebody made me put my mouth on their penis or somebody put their penis in my bottom. Anything that they say about it doesn't make them look like a strong, competent little four-year-old boy. You know, how can they assume that blame? But many times children do when they don't understand that these are experiences that are, they're not supposed to happen to them. So it, it's a real education to educate parents who have children who have sexual abuse histories, just to help them to calm down, to know how to talk about it. First of all, to look in their own lives to see if they have had histories of sexual abuse, because it's really important that we understand, you know, what happens to our minds when we have something terrorizing happened 
and what happens to our bodies. Uh, our bodies are very, very sensitive entities. Our bodies are not made for tough, uh, continuous, hard kind of penetration. Actually, gentle approaches to one's body are what is recommended if you don't want your body torn and your tissues torn around your genitalia. That's for boys and girls. We don't have a real portrayal of what a loving sexual relationship is like and hardly ever get a chance to see one because usually sexual interactions are supposed to be private. However, on the internet, you see women who are being anally raped smiling as if that's a, 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 an experience that they, they enjoy to be raped anally. That's something that's erotic. So, you know, we have such a myth, we have so much misinformation that it's, it's really frustrating uh, when people come in and, and share how they, what kind of information they had about their bodies, their sexuality. Um, and and it's, it needs to be corrected professionally. Um, and it also needs to involve parents if you have children who have these histories. The one thing I wanna convey to you if I was telling you what to do about how to approach your children is every day to look in their eyes. You know, you've heard the eyes are the, are the gateway to the soul. It could be, but the eyes also tell you whether a kid is sad, happy, high, so depressed that they can't even manage or don't even want to look at you or anybody else. And we have to really take time to slow down and do some of the things I'm going to share. Looking in your kids' eyes, looking in the eyes of everybody is really important. And isn't that a challenge now that we're into masks? Because you can barely see anybody's face. And now I have to wear my glasses in order to see uh, eyes to get a sense of what's going on because most of what I do now is virtual. So it's really hard to get a sense of, of how a person is feeling. They may say, I'm good, but they're not. You can't listen. Most people in our community say I'm good. We've had a conversation about that, particularly good. black men. And there was a film called I'm Good Bro that mm -hmm. um, one of our expert doctors talked about. And that's such a, you know, a mask. It's a learned response in our community yes. just to say I'm good and keep it all inside. I wanted to ask a question um, before you move into some other um, helpful practices mm -hmm. principles. Um, uh, one of our uh, callers says, can Dr. Wyatt speak more on the subject of marijuana being mm -hmm. a gateway drug? Did you mention mm -hmm. that a few minutes mm -hmm. ago? Yes, and I did. How often does that happen or is it sort of 50-50? Well, it really depends on the context of drug use and abuse. You know, if, if you're a person who's with people who are very satisfied with just relaxing, and smoking pot for that reason. They're not um, chronic pot smokers. They're not partiers. You know, they're different elements of our environment that can influence the introduction of harder drugs. Uh, and if you're with a group that just wants to relax, have a good time, that's a different setting from being around habitual drug users who not only uh, start with marijuana, but then will move into harder drugs, maybe the next day, if they're partying over a weekend, uh, or if they're partying continuously. And that's where sometimes the introduction moves from one drug to the next. People will say, well, why don't you try this? And give the person the drug. You don't know where it came from. You don't know the history of that bill or whatever it is that you know, you're being offered uh, and sometimes can inadvertently be introduced to harder drugs in that way, like the feeling, it's a different feeling. Uh, then, then comes the habitual use of it, wanting to feel that way again. And when you have uh, difficult thoughts, terrorizing thoughts, experiences that happen to you and you didn't want them to happen, it's easy to say, I've got to go to work. So I need to relax myself and use a drug to do it. So some of these patterns that people get into are inadvertent. They don't, they don't mean to become drug abusers. They simply mean to avoid the negative thoughts that they keep having that they can't control and get away from. So it can be very innocent 
as one person moves into more serious drug use and abuse. Great, thank you. So look in a person's eyes every day. Two, let's step back and try our best to have family dinners. Now, this is not easy in, in a working family where uh, a mom and a dad or mom and grandmom or uncle, whoever is living in your home, who's out working or in school comes at a different time of the evening or may only come certain days. It's hard to have a routine, but you can do it. It may not be around dinner. It may be that um, on Wednesdays and Fridays, family gets together at eight o'clock. Just sit around and talk. How was the week? What did you do? This is an opportunity to try to hear when people are distressed, when they are not able to function, when they've got a problem that continues from week to week. Uh, families have to be more a part of being at the beginning of uh, a trauma and a solution rather than waiting for it to escalate into something that needs major work. And keeping track of how that problem worked out is also important. Did you, were you able to talk to so-and-so about this? Did you get a chance to speak to your teacher? What's your boss saying about uh, the things you reported? Just trying to keep track of each other's lives is a major issue, but it's an important issue we just can't do away with. Just talking about what time do you have to be to work? What time are you coming home? Um, what do you want to eat? Can you pick up this? You know, We get into that so easily without saying, wait a minute, on Sunday night, it's family time. And family is defined as anybody who loves you and wants to be with you. So that does not mean you have to be biological people living together. It doesn't mean you have to be biological people who have this conversation. It's just monitoring the pace of each other's lives that somehow we just put aside because everybody's busy. Well, we know what happened with busy during COVID, right? There we were in the house. Uh, and somehow we, people have said, I've managed to have conversations we haven't had for years. Well, those are the ones I think we ought not just throw back away. We need to continue that kind of talking and relating to each other and being concerned about each other. And then realizing, well, you know, you've been struggling with this. Let's see if you can get some help with it. I don't know what else to say. I know I'm worried about you, but I don't know how to help you. So I'll work with you. In other words, don't make a problem somebody's problem and not mine. Our problems are our problems. And if a, pro if a family has a problem, the whole family has a problem. Just like I say to people in sex therapy, if one person is got a problem, both people have a problem because the other person's not going to be able to function <laughs> the way they like to with that person unless both people go and get some help. So there's nothing wrong with getting help. Uh, with families who have gay teens or they think they may have gay teens, the whole family should come in for counseling, not just send that one little person alone. Um, they need to be accepted by their families. They need to know they are loved unconditionally. If you don't want your youngster to get involved in any kind of uh, risky behavior, sexual behavior, drug-related behavior, any kind of behavior, they have to know that they have not lost the love of their parents, of their family, because they've made a decision to come out. I've worked with families for years before a teen actually comes out. Uh, and usually they will come out in a therapeutic environment because their families have taken the time to work with them and just let them know you need to be who you are and we love you and want to be a part of your life. How many times do you hear that in our communities when perhaps whatever is being discussed is not socially accepted enough? But having gay teens, having gay children, having gay adults is an issue, again, that we don't talk a lot about. We need to. We need to accept people the way they are. My philosophy is God and Jesus accepted everybody. He didn't say, well, only you and you over here get to uh, come with me. He sat with everybody. And I feel that in the Black community, we are far too judgmental. And we give our impressions of rejection too quickly, as if there's no change that's possible. There's no conversation that can be had to put some perspective 
to why a person is doing what they're doing. We need to listen more. And that's what these weekly discussions are all about. We need to get busy, even if it's going to the public parks, get up off the couch and exercise. Exercise as a group. Uh, and if you are not in a relationship, exercise with your neighbors, your friends, people who wanna do what you wanna do need to be in your world. If you just wanna smoke pot, be around people who just wanna smoke pot and nothing else. So you don't get distracted, okay? So those are some easy things. Don't, they don't cost a thing. Getting help for therapy, in other words, getting a therapist is not easy. Every single person I know who is uh, a therapist is overwhelmed because people now realize that they could take more time and maybe go to virtual sessions much more easily. So I think therapists are gonna be much more willing to see people and the insurance companies are gonna be more willing to pay for teletherapy because they have been. So there's a, a lot of things that I would really like to hear what questions you have so we can have a conversation on some of the things that I've said that you may or may not have agreed with, but I'd love to hear your opinions. The one thing you just said that was so interesting, I love how you said, you know, we love you and we want to be part of your life, which I think is so true. I think all of us on this phone call want to be part of our children's lives. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they might go awry, but maybe it's not awry. It's just their, their way. And one thing you just said, I want to double click on because I'm not exactly clear. So when you said, if you just want to go get high and smoke pot, smoke marijuana, be with people that do that. How do you, uh, I know in California it's legal, um, but in many states it's not where our mm -hmm. children might be partaking and it's not legal. Mm -hmm. How do you, uh, you know, in your mind get right with saying, okay, that's fine. You go do you, go be with those folks and still be okay with it. I mean, you're really deep in your heart, not okay with it. Yes. And you're trying to say, okay, go do you, but you're really not okay because you see this, the ramifications of that. Yes. And, and it's, and it can go so many other ways. Um, and you really want the person uh, who's considering drug use and, and first of all, open enough to tell you, even if they didn't tell you, you'd find out. The point is it's out. Okay. And you now have an issue that you've got to address. If it's something that you can't talk about easily and you can't figure this out, this is where people who are in Al-Anon, I think, really can help. Because these are people who have what I call the lived experience. These are people who've used drugs. They know the whole game. They know, um, you know how people come at you if it's illegal in your city and, and how you can get really involved with the people that you can't possibly know what they've been doing or you know how they got the drug and can get swept up in something illegal that you, that you really don't want to be a part of. I think going to Al-Anon sessions for families is the thing to do and just sharing so that everyone gets an education as to how hard it is when that drug is illegal and, and the person wants to do it. And, and what are the ramifications? You know, if you get arrested, are you going to be able to vote? Are you going to be able to, to check that box when you get a job? Have you ever been convicted? You know, remember that question that I'm speaking of that's on job application? And you know you have to always, for, for the rest of the time you're looking for jobs, answer that question in a way that's going to limit your ability to get certain kinds of work, get into certain kinds of schools. So everyone needs an education. And I think it's best done with people who have uh, drug use experience, and then have gone on uh, to be professionals on how to handle uh, these difficult topics rather than just saying, well, don't do it because it's illegal. When you know people are going to when they want to. So you got to find out then what are going to be the consequences of the decision you're making. That's essentially what the whole family needs to know. Great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. If anybody else has a comment or a question, any additional questions or thoughts? A caller has this question. As you were talking about little boys being sexually abused, I'm thinking about my own son. He's a young teen and we've talked about sex and his body changing. However, we've not yet talked about sexual abuse. What would be a good way to discuss this really important topic with him? 
Well, this is not an easy topic for a lot of people to discuss because sometimes they have histories of abuse. And it's hard to talk about something that's happened to you that perhaps you've kept a secret. So I'm saying this understanding that if you have a history of abuse, it's always better if you get some help first before you begin to talk with your children about it because your perspective on it may be influenced by your own experience. I give you an example of, um, I've talked to thousands of men and women about sexual experiences in thousands of African-American families about it. And based on that, I've interviewed a lady who had a really horrific history of sexual abuse and said that her daughter asked her, where did babies come from? Just a very common question, right? So when that question was asked of her by her daughter, she said it just triggered fear and anxiety in her that now she'd have to talk about something that was so negative. She had been raped. And the reason for that daughter's existence was by rape. So she knew it was going to I'll just introduce other issues and other issues for her as the child grew up that she had not really felt she was ready to discuss. So she got a um, bottle of gin, put it down on the table, got a glass, poured herself the glass of gin and said, okay, let's talk about this. Now that, uh, and she told the whole thing before I said anything. And then I said, you know, you were medicating yourself for the experience when obviously you needed to talk about it in another uh, opportunity with a professional before you sat down and tried to numb yourself out like that. Um, so and I'm telling you this because it, talking about abuse can trigger a, own, a parent's own histories. So that has to be addressed first. Second, if your child is at least 10 years of age, they need to know about the human body, all the proper terms, not little cute terms, not wee wee and all these kinds of things we use instead of just saying a penis. So that they also need to know when they talk about those terms, how the body works. This is all an introduction, okay, to what your question was involved with. So that when a child tells you about something that happened, because they may say, you know, my, my underwear was, was uh, made me chafe. They'd have to know what chafe means and they have to tell you where, where it's rubbing that makes, you, that makes them sore. So if they use the proper terms then it's much easier to understand and you don't have to alter those terms. That's just what the body is called. That's what those pieces are called. But then when something unfortunate and non-consensual happens to them, they can tell you exactly what happened without being afraid or using terms that are inaccurate and not really understanding what it is they're saying. But if you've talked to your son about the body and how the body works, then you can just say, you know, there's a piece of the conversation we had that we haven't had yet. And I wanna have that conversation with you. When do you have time to sit down with no music, no TV, no homework due, just you and me talking about this issue? or you and me and cousin so-and-so, if you need uh, some assistance, if, if, uh, you know, if you have a male that's in, in, in the presence of this conversation, who can kind of help out too, uh, who also knows what the topic will be. So it's not just a, you know, something everybody can laugh about, but also something that needs to be accurately described. So the kid gives you a time, you sit down with them and say this here, let me just tell you, this is not easy for me, because this is something I hope never happens to you. But if it does, I want you to tell me. And I don't care how old you are. I don't care where you are. I don't care what kind of relationship you're in. I want to know so I can help you. Now, there are things that you're going to want to do with your body because of hormones and because you feel good and you love that person. Or maybe you know that you just like to experience and touch them and be close to them. And that may be something you want to do, but something may happen to you that you don't want to do with somebody you don't want to touch you. That's what we need to talk about now. When a person talks to you, sometimes they may want to give you something like candy, like uh, give you some tickets to a concert, 
give you something else that may be important to you. And they're really nice to you. They want to spend time with you. Essentially, that may be their introduction to getting to know you well enough so they can tell you to meet them someplace and that that may be an opportunity for them to hit on you. And by hitting on you, I mean asking you for sex in some kind of way. And the, all those nice things that they did before are what we may call grooming, making you comfortable in their presence so that you know you're not afraid, you're not gonna yell, you're not gonna tell. This is somebody you really wanna protect. Their, their anonymity is important because they don't wanna get caught doing this, okay? That's grooming. And if you engage in the behavior because you think it's gonna be pleasant, you may want to be with that person, but it turns into something else, you need to say no to that person. And you need to tell them, stop touching my penis, stop touching my scrotum, stop touching my behind. I don't want to put my mouth on your penis. And I mean being specific about what it is that they don't want to do so that the person is not confused about what they're saying no to. And you should encourage your child to use those terms so that you know exactly what happened, okay? It may be they got involved with that person. It feels good. Not all sexual abuse is negative. Sometimes it feels good, which is very, very guilt-inducing. And then, you know, it's not right. The, your, your child may know that this isn't right. This isn't what I want to do. And you say, stop. But the person won't stop. When a person continues to do something to you that you don't want them to do, no matter if they, you already said yes, if you say no, they have to respect that and leave you alone. They don't stop, then you fight unless you see that there's a gun or a knife or something that could kill you or almost kill you. Stop. Try to get away from them. Mm. And, you know, it, it, it's a lot of pieces. And this all has to come out as to how you avoid being with somebody you don't know in a situation where you don't know how to get home. You don't have any transportation, but by asking them, those are not the situations where you would want to be with someone uh, in, a, in a sexual context because you can't say no easily and get away. Wow. So, That's fantastic advice. And I, uh, I wish I had known all of those things when my children <clears throat> were little, but thank you for sharing. Super helpful. And to be so specific. It's never too late, Kelly, to talk about Absolutely. This. That's amazing. Okay. Thank you for that. There's a woman who's had her hand up for a while. So I don't know if you want to. Yes, please go right ahead. Hi. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning. And good morning, Dr. Wyatt. Thank you so much for your expertise and, and your nuggets of wisdom. Very appreciative. A uh, couple of things I wanted to share. One, my kids are now, my son is 20 and my daughter is 26. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the most difficult conversations I ever had with my kids when they were likely I think even as young as seven or eight, and I repeated those conversations throughout the years, is that, um, and it was a difficult conversation because it says, I, I said, look, if anyone touches you anywhere in your body that mm -hmm. feels uncomfortable, that is unwarranted, unsolicited, mm -hmm. makes you uncomfortable, you come and tell me and I will always believe you. Yes. I will never doubt what you say. I mm -hmm. will never, you know, think that you are wrong and if they mm -hmm. tell you that they're going to harm me or mm -hmm. members of our family if you tell don't believe them because mm -hmm. they can't and they won't mm -hmm. and furthermore the far more difficult thing was even if it includes me <laughs> or your father or your mm -hmm. uncle or your grandma yes. because you know god forbid of course i would never but guess what if I ever, and I Lord knows I would never, you go to the nearest trusting adult and you tell them, you inform them that this has happened and mm -hmm. you need to. These are the steps that you need to take to protect yourself. Yes, excellent, um, excellent. One of the things that we don't, I, 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 I'm, one of the things that I struggled with growing up, and this is why I'm so targeted about my kids, is that there were, there was abuse in my family very mm -hmm. early on. My mother never talked to us about sex. 
you know, I had uncles who would say, hey, give me a real kiss, like a kiss on the lips. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. I was mm-hmm. probably no more than seven or eight, but I re- had mm-hmm. that memory of it being very uncomfortable and mm-hmm. thinking, why would this adult man be asking me to kiss him on his lips? He's my, mm-hmm. oh, he's my mother's brother. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, my sister, sadly, was pregnant at the age of, I believe it was nine or 10. Oh it was goodness. family secrets that never oh. got, my mother never had the sex conversation with us. Mm-hmm. My sister wound up having an abortion at that age. Mm-hmm. And it was so medically scarring that she was never able to have children again. Oh, so when sad. you have what a tragedy, kids, you really want to protect your children yes. from mm-hmm. all of that, um, mm-hmm. you know, by any means necessary. Mm-hmm. And I also recall reading something that said, you know, my ex-husband, he came from a history of uh, sexual abuse in his family, which opened my ears, not to, 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 not he was not the perpetrator, nor was he the victim, but nonetheless, he told me of various things. What that did for me was it kept me watchful of his relatives being around my children. Mm-hmm. I never allowed them to be alone with them. Mm-hmm. I always watched the interaction, particularly playing with boys like wrestling, right? Yes. That kind of physical, watch yes. that. Because mm-hmm. if that is with someone who has been known to be a pedophile and be inappropriate with children, that is sort of gateway sort of plain. Like, hey, mm-hmm. let's wrestle. Let's just have a boy and man time. So I say all that to say, what you say about childhood trauma is so spot on. Mm-hmm. And it's so sad. And that's mm-hmm. why I had the conversations with my kids very early yeah. on, just to protect them um, from those types of things. Um, so thank you very much for oh, sharing. Well, thank you for sharing because you have top, you have tackled um, all of these situations that I'm talking about. And so you know how hard it is to do it. Uh, but we have to. We can't consider that our relatives are people that can take care of our children. You know, and I just remember growing up my mo- from the South, my mother would say, hug uncle so-and-so. You know, they'd come in the house and they, Mm-hmm. We said no hugging, you know, <laughs> no right. touching the children. That that doesn't give you any entry into being close to them. Because I can't tell you how many women have said when they were forced to sit on some uncle someone's lap, uncle someone's hand was up under their skirt or in their mm-hmm. pants while they were sitting there and the mm-hmm. parents couldn't see it. So we just don't know. You know, we cannot expose our children to uh, situations and then they're caught between they know this is someone their parents look up to and they know their parents might get upset with them if they don't do what they're told to do so don't put children in that situation let them tell you the people they're comfortable and want to hug or call uh-huh. uncle somebody don't assign those labels to people uh-huh. based on our friendships because now we're talking about uh, people violating each other's boundaries in ways that we just had no idea what happened. Mm-hmm. Also being careful not to let kids have alcohol. Remember how we as Black families thought it was funny to let yeah. a kid drink beer and taste wine? Mm-hmm. Don't do that because mm-hmm. others see the kids doing that and that's how they can get them in a position where, hey, exactly. but you had beer the other day. Remember when mm-hmm. your uncle gave you some? How about mm-hmm. sharing some with me? I think right. that is really a really bad practice. And again, that was something that I never did with my children. I didn't play those alcohol games mm-hmm. because it, it's just it's just, it's just, just not good for their development uh, or yeah. anything else. Mm-hmm. Now, there's some cultures where kids are drinking, like in Italy, ch- children are drinking wine at early ages. Um, but, mm-hmm. but it's in a context where they're not just allowed to drink continuously. Um, you know, they may have a glass of wine with dinner or something like that and mm-hmm. on a special occasion. So there are cultures where alcohol is used and introduced to children, but there are rules and regulations around it. Uh, and we have to be very, very clear that this is something that we can inadvertently introduce to a child who may end up with that addiction too. Mm-hmm. So we have to be very, very well informed about right. what we're doing and agree with the person who's raising the children with you, your partner, uh, your spouse, as to what kind of things you're going to do with your children. So you don't have that argument in front of the children when they're trying to drink something or smoke something. You, you've already decided how this is going to play out in, in your family. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you for that. So we're almost out of time. There's one last comment in the chat I'd like to share. Mm -hmm. um, and before we wrap up, but um, such good information. Let's see, this comment says, I just found out that a man in my life was sexually abused as a child. It haunts him to this day as a grown man. How do you identify it if they don't directly open up to you? And I think you said abuse happens because parents are not in the home. In this case, both parents were in the home, but it was someone at the school. Mm -hmm. How would you know to identify this with your son if they don't say it to you? Well, you can look at their behavior. Sometimes, as I've said, you see exaggerated sexual behavior. You may see um, what we call sexually exploited children, children who watch a lot of sexual content, read a lot of sexual content, do a lot of dating, do a lot of uh, use pornography. Their terminology may be different. They may be depressed. Uh, there is something about their behavior that seems kind of off, or it may be just something you cannot see, you don't hear. It's nothing that you would be concerned about at all, but you just need to ask, and then you need to just watch their behavior. That may be all that you have to go on, or you just have a, a, a suspicion that something may have happened to them, and you can say it just that way. You know, the way that you're behaving, the way, the way that you spend a lot of time with yourself, with the door closed, all alone, nobody meets your friends, no one knows who you, know, who you hang out with. And I always advocate that people, uh, kids be involved with bringing their friends to dinner, bring them in the house so you can see who they're hanging out with. Don't say, don't go right. around so-and-so, Mo, bring them all in there. So you can look at those eyes and you can see the kind of behavior and talk about what kinds of things. I used to love to drive carpools because I learned more about what my kids were doing when they were in the backseat of the car with their friends talking. And I guess they'd forget I was in there driving. My, my mouth would be wide open, but hey, I learned a lot. Right. You know, just you need to be a part of your children's world, volunteer in their classrooms so you can see the teacher, you can see the teacher interact. And if, if not volunteering, just tell the teacher you'd like to make a visit uh, and, and mm -hmm. schedule it. But the teacher needs to allow that. You have a right to visit the classroom, but you need to get involved. It, no work is too important when it comes to making sure your children are not abused and you don't even know it. Absolutely. It's the most important thing I think we all do. And this is what we all are striving for on this call. So um, so thank you for that. And Dr. Wyatt, before we close, I just want to say once again, this has been incredibly helpful. I love that you said it's never too late to have these conversations. Never. <laughs> Look in the eyes, have the conversation, say we love you no matter what. We want to be part of your life. That was that really hit home for me. So no matter what kind of life that is. No matter what kind of life that is, we want to mm -hmm. be there. Mm -hmm. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You're so um, welcome. So appreciate you. Um, Kelly Chapman is our incredible, incredible um, executive director, but also pastor, minister. I don't know how she mm -hmm. does it, but she'll close us out in a prayer today. And again, thank you so much. You're so welcome. <laughs> thank you, Dr. Gail. This was uh, just very informative. I appreciate it. You're amazing. Mm -hmm. Lord, we give you thanks today because you are good. Thank you for your unfailing love and for the blessing and favor of having children to love and release into the world. We are grateful for this journey and Lord, we don't take it lightly. We thank you for equipping us for the task and we are grateful that you convened us as a small community of concerned yet hopeful parents at such a time as this. Lord, we continue to humble ourselves before you. As we discuss the fragile topic of sex today, we are reminded that many of us had our own experiences as youth of discovery, rebellion, trauma, and more. We are grateful for your love and forgiveness and that you allowed us to see many years in our homes, our careers, and in the community. You said in your word, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. To this very day, not only children, but people of all ages struggle with sexuality and trauma. The trauma and oppression that many have faced and the way that sex is portrayed in media, online and in music can create pressure and triggers. And you know us, Father. You know every intimate detail of our lives. Even as we desire to throw the past into the sea of forgetfulness, we recognize that the scars may not be fully healed. 
As such, God, we acknowledge that some of our children may be acting out because of trauma that they never discussed with us. It may be a cousin or an uncle who did something in the dark. God, we understand that our children may act out because of a bad situation they got into with another classmate. We understand that our children may have experienced someone in their school who was sexually aggressive or our child may even have been the aggressor. We ask for a strong spirit of discernment today when we see how these experiences turn into something unexpected, whether it's porn, addiction, drugs, promiscuity, and more. Help us to identify what is going on early so that we can be prepared to intervene, to stop the busyness and look into the eyes of our children and get a sense of what is going on. Finally, Lord, help us and our children grow in the fruit of the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We ask for more self-control, God, and we thank you for it in advance. In your son's name, amen. Amen. As always, incredible, Kelly. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Let us stop the busy. That hit me. There's many things, as you said, during the prayer and what Dr. Wyatt also shared. Uh, let's all take to heart some of the things we learned today. I know I will. I uh, appreciate all of you for being here. Thank you, Dr. Wyatt, again. So appreciate you. And uh, we'll have a, have a good day and a good week, everyone. I'm Kelly Richardson Lawson, and you've been listening to the Sunrise Project podcast. You can follow Sunrise wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, open your podcast app and follow this show. Join us next week for another gathering of support. Thank you for listening. If you or someone you know is struggling with mental wellness challenges, contact your doctor, NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, or both. You can reach NAMI's helpline at 800-950-6264, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Time or email at info at NAMI.org. Volunteers are working to answer questions, offer support, and provide practical next steps.